Hi there, and welcome to Verbal Voices. I'm your host, Paul Lemley, the head of partnerships at Verbal. Before we get into this episode, I'd like to test something with our audience. If you're listening right now, go open Twitter and tweet at us giving praise to your favorite audio creator. Tag us and them in the tweets and tell us why you think the podcast, podcast host, sound engineer, ASMR artist, spoken word poets, or any other audio creator you love is worth following. Share the love and help us find some unknown audio talent that isn't on our radar yet. Okay, on today's episode, I'm excited to have a bit of a different conversation than what you might be used to on this podcast. We're not talking with an audio creator, we're talking with a psychologist. Dr. Julia Poerio is a researcher at the University of Essex and was the first to publish a paper on the sensory experience called ASMR. ASMR stands for Autonomous Sensory Meridian Response and is often described as the tingling feeling you may get on the back of your neck, your scalp, or down your spine. You may have come across some unusual videos on YouTube in which creators publish a diverse array of content meant to induce this tingling feeling. From scratching, whispers, chewing food, or close personal attention, there are many different modes that induce the tingling experience and a cottage industry has developed around the art form. But there's so much more involved with this phenomenon. I wanted to bring Dr. Poerio on the podcast to discuss her research, some interesting findings, see what it was like working with these amazing audio creators, and perhaps even cover some medical applications that ASMR could be used for in the future. So you ready to learn more? Let's jump right in. Welcome, Julia. Th- thank you for joining me on the podcast today. We're really excited to talk with you. And you're our first non-audio creator, although I don't even know if you create any audio yet. So maybe that's my first question. Do you do you, uh, record anything on your own? No, I, I record nothing. I, <laughs> I like to listen, but not to produce. Well, let's find out what you listen. Let's jump into the rapid fire questions. Cool. Great. Yeah, let's do it. All right. What are your favorite types of audio besides podcasts and ASMR, I should say? Okay. Um, So maybe it's not in terms of pleasure, but the audio that I most listen to um, is brown noise. So I listen to brown noise a lot when I work because I'm very sensitive to sound. So I I basically always have headphones and brown noise on constantly when I'm working. Okay, you're going to have to define brown noise for us. Is that white noise for the US, like background noise or? Yeah, so it's like white noise, but it's softer. So I have an app on my phone, which um, this is the brown noise. Shall I play it for you? Go for it. Let's see see if it works. So is it like it's television? Like soft, yeah, it's like soft white noise. Okay, all right. Also, you know, you also have pink noise and white noise. Well, <laughs> brown noise is what I listen to. We're gonna come back to all of that because I don't know anything about the color of noises. Let's let's <laughs> let's wait to jump in. Let's let's finish the rapid fire question. <laughs> all right. Uh, what's your favorite audio clip of all time? What do you mean by audio clip? It can be a movie quote or a movie scene. It could be something on the radio that you've you've heard, or it could be anything really. <laughs> this is going to sound really weird, um, and it's not. It's not. It's nothing that anybody would probably know, and it probably doesn't count. Um, but I love the way that my partner says, "Let's go and get fish and chips," because he goes, "Let's go and get fish and chips," <laughs> like that. 
I, might, I love it. You, you um, might have to send me the recording of him saying that. We'll, we'll stitch that in. That, that sounds awesome. I love that. I try, I try and get him to do it all the time. And he, um, and he just, he, he's like, I'm not a performing monkey. Um, but I love it whenever he's like, let's get fishy chips. <laughs> all right. Uh, what's your favorite sound? Gosh, I'm very sensitive to sound. Um, I really, really like in music sounds that are very unexpected and un uh, that you can't anticipate. Um, and I, I don't know if I have the words to describe them, um, but um, for example, in Gregory Porter's um, music, there's quite a lot of uh, unanticipated kind of sounds that really kind of do something to me um, okay. that I love. And it's really hard to describe. Here for me. There will be no love dying. I love it when I'm, I, I'm, a sound I hear is completely unpredictable and I'm not expecting it. So like an, in, an instrument that uh, you didn't expect to hear in or, the song? Yeah, or I expect somebody's voice to go up and then it goes up and then down, oh. something like that. Okay. Um, so it's unanticipated uh, sounds I really love. The surprise and delight. I like that. Yes. Cool. What's your least favorite sound? Oh, so sometimes I really hate the sound of um, people eating and um, breathing. I know that sounds awful, <laughs> but sometimes the sound of people breathing or eating, if I'm trying to do something like watch a TV program that I'm really into and then the person next to me is eating really loudly, I really just that. Lots of sounds that I hate, actually. <laughs> That's actually a, a fan favorite question. We've had a bunch of cool responses for that one. Mm. So what do you listen to in the car if you were driving at the moment, I imagine, just like mm. uh, us in the US, you're not driving much. Yeah, so I drive to the to the supermarket and to see people occasionally. Um, if I'm driving to work, I will listen to an audiobook or yeah, usually an audiobook or a podcast, but on like three times the speed. A beginning is the time for taking the most delicate care that the balances are correct. This every sister of the Bene Gesserit knows. To begin your study of the life of the Muad'Dib, then take care that you first place him in his time. So I listen to it really, really quickly uh, to get content in. Otherwise, I listen to my local radio station, which I love because it has, plays loads of old, old songs. Cool, cool. Uh, yeah, the, the three times speed or two, two times speed, that, that's revolutionary in my mind when it comes to, right. to audio. You can digest so much. If you could secretly record anything, what would it be? So I've always really wondered how, um, com what conversation, all male conversations are like uh, without women there. <laughs> what it's really like. And it, so I would, I would love to, I would love to hear that. Um, and, okay. and maybe it wouldn't be as bad as I think. Well, what, what, what do you think? What's the expectation of, of what our conversations are in private? I don't know. I would just love to know the way that the men speak about women amongst themselves when they don't think anybody is listening. Okay. All right. Or any women are listening. Basically something that's completely uncensored. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. All right. And this one, I have to phrase it right because uh, I, I guess baseball is a bad analogy for, for, for you, but uh, yeah. what would be your walk-up or walk-out song? The best way to frame it is if you were giving a TED Talk or a, a speech to a large crowd, what would you want the song to be that brings you out on stage? Oh, gosh. Um, 
Oh God, that's hard. Um, <laughs> so many songs. Um, probably uh, Benny and the Jets by Elton John. All right, that's great. Love that that's, tune. A, that's a great song. I love it. We love these questions because we get to know you a bit more on, on a personal level. Uh, but thank you again for joining us on, on Verbal Voices. Uh, for the listeners at home, you are a psychology researcher. And the reason we're having you on is is ASMR is a huge, huge audio category for us at Verbal. And it's so unknown to so many of our listeners. Uh, it's still sort of underground. It's getting a lot more mainstream. And before we had any ASMR artists on, I thought it prudent to actually talk to a researcher that is diving deep into uh, the subject matter. Uh, and you're one of the first, I think, your first research paper that was published two years ago now uh, was the first of its kind to discover what ASMR is and, and what application it might have in day-to-day -day life and, and in medical research and, and things like that. So to start, can you give our listeners a definition of ASMR right off yeah. the bat? So ASMR stands for Autonomous Sensory Meridian Response, um, and it is a kind of pseudoscientific term, I suppose for a particular kind of brain tingling sensation that some people experience in response to a common set of triggers. So the feeling itself is, is like a tingling sensation that starts at the, at the top of the head, the crown of the head, and can spread down like a wave. It almost feels like um, somebody has poured a can of Coke on, on the top of your head and it's kind of spreading down. It's very pleasant, relaxing. Um, and it's, it's an experience that not everybody has, but those people that do have it, um, say that it is triggered by um, certain kinds of audio, but also particularly um, visual stimuli. So things like whispering, soft speaking, um, mouth sounds, even eating sounds can be ASMR triggers. Um, visual triggers like um, watching somebody do something very delicately and carefully with particular hand movements. And then there are interpersonal triggers. So um, things that um, involve close personal attention um, and also soft touch is a, a very common ASMR trigger. So somebody tracing their fingers on your back might trigger this kind of tingling sensation in, in the back of your head. Um, it's a very relaxing sensation, but it's also quite euphoric. Um, it's a little bit different to um, what many people might know as music-induced chills. So those are the kind of goosebumps that you get um, when you listen to a fantastic piece of music. Um, it's similar in some senses, but it, it, it's, it's a bit different. And did your research dive into the differences there? Because I, I experienced the, the music sensation or uh, actually a lot of times it's a it's a uh, movie score uh, where it's the, kind of that, that peak moment, that crescendo moment. Uh, but I don't experience it with a, what we would categorize a, as ASMR. So did your research dive into those differences at all? Yeah, so we, I mean, we didn't particularly compare music-induced chills with um, ASMR, but we did find some things which allow us to compare with music-induced chills because there has been quite a lot more research on that. So with music-induced chills, you tend to get what we call piloerection, which is essentially the standing up of the head on your, um, you know, on your arms and the back of your neck um, associated with goosebumps. That's not mm -hmm. something that happens in ASMR, um, at least not typically. Um, also, we know about the physiological responses now that happen with ASMR. Um, and one thing that we found is that ASMR is associated with reduced heart rate. So um, typically that is associated with the relaxation of ASMR. Um, and with music-induced chills, you get an increase in, in heart rate. Um, so you, you have a different physiological pattern in music-induced chills compared to ASMR. 
So although they might feel a bit similar, um, they are very different kind of experiences. And, and so you got into this research, uh, I think, uh, four, four to six years ago, starting the research back in 2014, because it took a while to get the paper published. Why is this so interesting to you? I, mean, I think I, I listened to an interview where you said you've experienced this for a long time, and you didn't know other people experienced it. You thought you were alone, which I I've read all over the internet, and that's a very common sentiment. But why, why you? Why, why is this just fascinating to you? Yeah, well, I mean, it really came from personal experience. So it's it's something that I I've always experienced. I didn't know that it was something that other people experienced. Um, and as you say, that's a very common finding. Um, so actually, people tend to either think that maybe they're the only person who has this kind of weird tingling sensation. Whereas other people just think, oh, everyone has it. Oh, what do you mean you don't have this tingling sensation? Which is also quite interesting. Um, but I, so I suppose I got into it because I thought, you know, when I found out that it was a thing and there were all these videos on YouTube um, to induce this feeling, I thought, well, okay, well, if, if people know about it, there must be some research on it. Um, and I couldn't find anything at, at the time except for one tiny line in a paper um, about a, a case study of somebody with syn- a, t- a particular type of synesthesia and, and they said that she also experienced something known as ASMR. Um, and the more I kind of spoke to people, the more the more skepticism there was, I think. So a lot of people said, well, you know, that just sounds weird. Um, is it really a thing? Isn't it just all in your head? Um, and I, you know, I know that it's a real thing because I experience it, but I I have thought, you know, what would it take to convince somebody who doesn't experience it to believe that it's a real thing? Um, And I suppose one of the things that the scientific method can offer us is that kind of more objective testing of whether something is is real or made up. Um, So it was really kind of a personal motivation to to start studying it. And it's, it's, you know, it's really fascinating for for me from a number of levels, psychologically speaking, um, particularly because you know, I'm very interested in how emotional experiences happen and emotion in general. And, you know, why is it the case that, for example, I experience this really intense emotional and complex response, but you don't, but the external world is objectively the same. So we're maybe watching the same thing, but we're having very different internal personal experiences. And that to me is really fascinating. When I first began researching it and and, uh, watching the videos, uh, I think my gut reaction is that people are seeking arousal. And and in your research, you you talk about non-sexual arousal, you talk about different types of arousal, which is fascinating to me. I didn't think there were different types of emotions within an emotion, meaning, you know, you can feel aroused, but non-sexually, you can feel happy, but, uh, um, but have so many mixed feelings within that happiness. Uh, that is incredibly fascinating to me. And and I think ASMR just induces that even more. And it's just that more much more complex. And m- maybe your research just opened that many more doors to uh, that type, those types of emotions. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So I think traditionally, you know, if you're, if you're thinking about emotion science, we would we tend to consider emotions as varying along two dimensions. One is what we would call valence, so that is the amount of pleasure um, that it has, and the other is arousal, so that's how activating or deactivating it is. So something like excitement is a pleasant and high arousing state, whereas something like calmness is a low arousing but pleasant state. Um, But actually it's a lot more complex than that because you can have um, emotions that that don't really fit those descriptions. Um, For example, nostalgia is a really complex emotion that is kind of like happiness but tinged with sadness and you you hear lots of people talking about you know I've got mixed emotions about you know this so it's not as simple as 
oh, you know, an experience is just happy or it's just sad or it's just exciting or it's just calm. Actually, there are these emotional blends in our experience um, that complex emotions like ASMR and also music-induced chills and things like awe um, also kind of pick up on that kind of emotional complexity that go beyond just feeling good or bad. So this isn't this is definitely not a fad. This isn't this isn't just a hyped overhyped uh, um, cultural phenomenon that YouTube and Reddit and Discord has has opened up Pandora's box on, right? This is it's mo most likely people have been experiencing these types of emotions for you know millennia. It's just we've never had the you know impetus to research them or or even the platforms to induce them uh radio has only been around for you know a century so le uh, less than a century and so i think it's fascinating that w we've just opened this pandora box pandora's box of the unknown when it comes to our emotions yeah yeah i, I do think it's really interesting to think about you know why why is it that asmr has only recently come into public consciousness because of course most people who experience it say that they've experienced it since childhood and actually it you know the the internet has allowed us to have you know a common a common term to start to describe all of this this stuff so originally asmr started on a on a an internet forum in 2007 so it was just somebody posting you know saying oh, i get this this kind of weird sensation and that feels really good you know how does anybody else get it and then jennifer allen who had been kind of searching for this experience on the internet for years um you know came across this thread and then she decided to call it autonomous sensory meridian response to try and make it sound a bit more scientific because a lot of people were connecting it with kind of fetish or, or sexual arousal right so the internet has really enabled us to start to speak about these things but asmr has also taken on a lot a, a new meaning i think um because it's it's gone into popular culture as well so the meaning of what ASMR is, is, is I think, slightly different to, to what it is as an emotional experience in, in terms of the ASMR industry. And of course, we, you know, it's being used in adverts and rap music and film and all sorts of things. So it, it does have a bit of a, a different meaning um, in, in a wider context. Well, it's it's going to be interesting to think about the commercial application of it. Like, how do, how do you use how do you induce that in movies, in television shows, in music scores, in in everything that we do? But also, you know, in my mind, just as because I'm a marketer, how to advertise with it too? It's like how do you how do you use that in advertising to induce such a, a wide range of emotions that you know I can target? Which seems sounds sinister, but you know, all advertising started out <laughs> sounding very. Uh, sinister so so yeah i'm interested in the commercial application obviously we uh, at verbal we want to find out if there's a way to you know help asmr artists make money off of it and help advertisers you know use asmr or or advertise on asmr so that the commercial yes. application is interesting to us i mean there's quite a lot of examples now of um asmr uh, advertising campaigns so uh super bowl advert with zoe kravitz uh uh, KFC have done one, Ikea have done one, um, you know, it's very much something that is is within the advertising industry. And what's interesting to me is, is whether, as you say, they are trying to induce a certain emotional state in their viewers in order to kind of sell something, or whether, and this is, I suspect, more likely, it's more of a, a cultural trend. So it's ASMR is trendy, so we're going to do an advert that is right. inspired by ASMR. Um, right. Yeah. 
So I think, but, it, but it's there's really an audience for it, but then there's a emotional trigger that we want to pull. There's there's that duality and, and that dual yeah. presence. Yeah. Um, let's talk a little bit. Let's go back to talk about those uh, those color sounds you mentioned in in your rapid fire. Uh, you said you like brown, but you said there's pink and maybe orange. Explain this to me. I don't understand yeah. what that means. <laughs> so this isn't something I I know loads about, but basically I am. Um, uh, I have real trouble concentrating because I'm very sensitive to sound. And actually, this is something that we find a lot with people who experience ASMR is that they are incredibly sensitive to sound. So they might be able to hear certain sounds that other people might not. For example, you know, if you're lying in bed at night, you might be able to hear the sound of your charger being plugged into the wall or something like that, which prevents you from getting to sleep. Um, so I'm incredibly sensitive to sound, which is why I listen to brown noise to essentially block out all external sound. Um, okay. And white noise is just a bit too harsh for me, but I know some people who do listen to, to white noise. Um, but it is literally just to block out um, external noise because I can't concentrate otherwise. Now, what's or what's the other color you mentioned? Uh, pink noise. I pink can play you pink noise. I think it's really horrible, actually. This is pink noise. I guess in the context of, of ASMR, though, um, in our previous conversation, we talked about the uh, visual and auditory sense uh, sensation, meaning uh, both seemingly must be present, but there are other ways to induce ASMR uh, just from audio or just from video. Can you talk a little bit about the duality yeah. there? So, so certainly, um, you know, you can, you can just experience ASMR through um, visual triggers. So if you are watching somebody do something very carefully, like putting on their makeup, for example, that can induce ASMR. Um, similarly, you can listen to somebody whispering or telling you a story with no visual input whatsoever. You have your eyes closed, and I think this is how people listen to ASMR a lot. There is no visual input, and that can also trigger ASMR. There is a sense in which the combination of visual and auditory triggers is something that intensifies ASMR. So in, for example, an instructional ASMR video where somebody is telling you how to fold towels, which is a, a common ASMR video, which I personally really? love. Yeah, yeah, it's, I mean, it's brilliant. Um, you know, somebody's telling you how to fold towels, but at the same time, their hand movements and the, the way that they're touching the towels and, and, you know, all of that kind of stuff is really intensifying it. Um, okay. I would say that typically audio triggers are, are, are the strongest form of triggers. Um, and in our research, we, we found that um, vocal triggers, so um, human voice sounds are on average stronger for inducing ASMR compared to other sounds like tapping, for example. Mm -hmm. Fascinating. You, you mentioned a, a bunch of different tingle inducing ideas in the beginning and also with the towel reference, but what, what are some of the weirdest ones you've come across? And I, I, I hate to use the word weird because the, I feel this is uh, sort of getting into the level of art form uh, with the amount of audience there is for it and as well as you know the, the actual care the ASMR artists uh, take to produce. Uh, what are some, some uh, interesting ones that, that you found or or, or even just the underground ones that aren't more mainstream yet? Yeah, I mean, 
it's really interesting because ASMR artists, it, it truly is like, a, it is an art form really. And you, you, you can see how it's evolved and how much effort and time they put into, you know, mm -hmm. creating new content. Um, so one of the ones that recently I found very interesting um, uh, in terms of ASMR triggers is the, is the idea of, of doing fast ASMR. So ASMR quite often is quite slow and it's very delicate and it's very deliberate. Um, and there is more of a trend now I'm seeing on, on videos of fast ASMR um, and very fast hand movements, like finger fluttering is a very common one where people go like that and the sound of their fingers and they do very fast things and they move, move around like this. Uh, and it seems very non-ASMR because it is so fast, but actually it's very inducing, um, weirdly. And I think this has evolved out of something called ASMR immunity. So this is the um, experience of, if you overexpose yourself to ASMR content, you become less able to experience it. So you become immune to the content. Oh. So I think what's happened over time is that ASMR artists have started to develop new techniques to try and overcome the ASMR immunity by using triggers that you don't normally associate with ASMR. And actually it's, it's really effective and quite interesting to see. Wow, I didn't even think that there was a okay. You can you can overinduce, you can you can oversubscribe to ASMR, and you get inoculated, if you will, yeah, by uh, to yeah. it. That's interesting. Any other uh, interesting ones or ones that you you particularly like? Yeah, so I mean, I'm quite a traditionalist when it comes to ASMR. I'm very much um, I very much like the soft spoken mouth sounds. Um, one one thing that I find um, very triggering it's anything that is quite um lo-fi so i very much like lo-fi kind of realistic situations so for me anything that seems very realistic um is more triggering whereas i think other other people like it to be more produced um but it's personal preference i think that's actually an interesting category that that i came uh, came across was the storyline uh almost the fiction plus ASMR category, meaning these ASMR artists will create a, uh, a context for you to listen in. Uh, I saw like a Hogwarts one a, or like a Harry Potter themed one, or there's like lots of fantasy. There's also like fan fiction type stuff. Uh, that's fascinating because like the, the storytelling alone is, is great, but then you add the, the emotional response to uh, that, that you get from ASMR and it, it's, uh, it's a super fascinating uh, category within it. The other category that I want to bring up that you likely hate is mukbang. The chewing ASMR, these YouTube ASMR creators will shoot themselves uh, eating uh, different uh, candies and pasta and different uh, all types of food and record the the actual the actual audio of it and uh, and that's a huge category right now you hate that don't you no so really oh. actually really so this is one of the the interesting complexities of ASMR um, and I think this is something that a lot of people experience which is that the same sound in different contexts can produce completely different emotional responses. So in the context of me sitting down watching a TV program on my partner eating really loudly next to me, mm -hmm. I can find that really infuriating and that might induce something called misophonia, which literally means hatred of sound. Um, and that's kind of like angry feelings um, uh, in response to certain sounds like chewing and, and tapping. Um, but in another context of somebody 
you know, chewing on some gum while telling me something or eating, trying out different dishes, I find that incredibly ASMR inducing. So (laughs) So it's one of the conundrums that that we find really interesting from a research perspective, which is that, you know, why is it that misophonia and ASMR are so related? Uh, and they do seem, they do seem to be that's interesting the the context is just as important as the actual yeah. auditory experience huh yeah it's really it's really interesting because there there is an element of you know context contextualizing the experiences so context is really important for interpreting your emotional states too you know if you feel your heart beating really rapidly and you find yourself, you know, on top of a really tall building, you might think that you're scared. Whereas if you had the same beating heart and you saw somebody that you found really attractive, you might think that you were, you know, interested in them. Sure. So the way the context does shape our emotional experience quite a lot. And that actually brings me to the question about application. Um, and you talk about this a little bit in, in your um, paper, but um, did you find any, any viable ways that ASMR can be used to uh, to help uh, someone with insomnia or someone um, that can't relax or having heart issues or, or just trying to, you know, release stress. What type yeah. of findings did you come across for, for an actual medical ap- application? Yeah, so I'd say that, I mean, at least anecdotally, you, you just have to go onto YouTube comments to see this, that people are already using ASMR for things like insomnia, anxiety, depression, loneliness, improving well-being, all sorts of things. And it really is helping um, you know, millions of people to, to relax and, and um, improve their well-being. Um, and we, we've got initial evidence to suggest that, it, you know, ASMR is something that is physiologically beneficial. So we found um, reductions in heart rate that are comparable to other forms of intervention like mindfulness and music, um, music stress reduction therapies. So there's a sense in which, yes, ASMR, if it's something that you experience, is having a tangible effect on your physiological system. Um, but whether or not that can be used for kind of therapeutic application is something that we will need to test because, of course, you know, what is the point in, in, in producing something therapeutically if it's not something that everybody can experience and also if it's something that you become immune to over time. So it's not like you can keep right. on giving people more ASMR. Um, but certainly people are, you know, people are using it. Um, but there are lots of open questions. I mean, one of the things that I'm really interested in exploring is whether whether or not ASMR actually benefits sleep. And, you know, a lot of people use it as a sleep aid. Um, but is it doing something to the quality and the architecture of your sleep? Or is it just something that's helping you get to sleep? Um, and there's some really interesting questions ar- around that. Actually, that's kind of what we're thinking about at Verbal is, you know, as, as we open audio to more people meaning you know giving people access to different types of audio other than music and podcasting which is easy to access uh how do we induce or how do we give people audio specific types of audio throughout their day this is actually a conversation we just had yesterday about how can verbal be used to wake someone up how can they be it be used to help them meditate in the morning and afternoon how can it be used to help them focus at work throughout the day uh learn something new and then actually fall back asleep so this the story arc of someone's day uh are there any applications you feel like you know in that story arc of an individual's day that asmr would be perfect for other than sleep and maybe waking up yeah, so I, I do think uh, quite a few people use it um, for, for study, as a, as a study aid. Um, you know, perhaps something to have on in the background to kind of 
you know, induce a, a calm sort of state um, uh, whilst they're working. Uh, I wouldn't typically say people tend to watch ASMR in the morning. It's not a particularly invigorating experience. Um, mm -hmm. But certainly before sleep and any, at any point if somebody's, you know, needing to relax, um, that'd be very good. But I mean, it's interesting to me, it's something I've often wondered whether different types of ASMR can be beneficial for different kinds of things and whether or not there is potential to personalize ASMR more to an individual based on their viewing habits and things like that. That would be fascinating to, to work on. Uh, maybe something verbal can, can help with in, in the future. But um, as you did your research uh, and you talked to all these ASMR creators and individuals that, uh, that you know, feel the tingle um, and don't, uh, you had a, a lot of individuals that claim they do not uh, feel it. Um, what did you learn about the community and, and, uh, and the actual creators themselves? Uh, how are they uh, communicating? How are they, you know, joining forces? How, how are they, you know, finding out more about more and more about the uh, actual art form? Is there any unique things you learned about the community? I think I would say that my general impression of the ASMR community is that it is incredibly supportive and kind and welcoming. Um, and I think this, this might be to do with the fact that ASMR is in itself kind of a very caring, nurturing experience. So what ASMR artists are doing is essentially helping other people and they're very you know they are doing a kind of a public service in my eyes at least and they put a lot of time and effort into it um so the community is is incredibly welcoming and you know and friendly and and really excited at, you know to find scientific research to kind of back up you know their art form essentially and saying you know yes not only are people telling you that you know that this is helping but we've got evidence to show that it, it does help um, so yeah, I think the ASMR community are amazing, um, and I kind of fangirl quite a lot over um, some ASMR artists because I just, I, for me, I just think they're amazing. Um, so yeah. And two two of the platforms that I've uh, come across them, or at least the, the, that fosters their engagement with the community, are, well, three I should say: YouTube, Reddit, and Discord. Uh, are there any other uh, forums that you've come across that you know say you know someone who's never you know heard of ASMR uh, is listening and they want to you know learn more? What 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 might be the best route to learn more about uh, the creators themselves or connect with yeah, them? Yeah, I would say YouTube is probably the best the best place to go. I mean, I think ASMR is the third most popular search term on YouTube at the moment, so I think that's where people are going to to find content. Um, mm -hmm. Yes, yeah, so I, I would say YouTube. All right. And um, to kind of close out the conversation uh, and on the topic of a newbie, a neophyte, uh, if they wanted to understand it more and see if they actually have, you know, have the tingles and can, can feel the emotions involved with ASMR, how, how would you approach that or how would you recommend they approach uh, their, besides just going straight to YouTube, uh, how would they dip their toe in the water and maybe even jump in? Yeah, so I would say that, you know, reading a bit about what the sensation actually feels like, um, thinking about whether it is something that you have experienced before or whether you've experienced anything similar like music produced chills, um, thinking about what that might feel like um, and whether you've had it. So, of course, some people might not know that that's what ASMR is. So maybe just um, introspecting a bit. Um, and then going on YouTube, I would say go on YouTube, listen, do it in a place where you, there's not other people around, that it's quiet, put your headphones in so you don't feel embarrassed, 
um, and you know, just have a little watch, have an open mind. Um, we know that people who experience ASMR score higher on the personality trait of openness to experience. So, you know, be open um, and just give it a go and, and reserve judgment. And also, don't just go with the first YouTube the YouTube video that you find. Look around, find some ASMR artists and some ASMR video topics that personally interest you. So, for example. I like towel folding ones or folding ones. Um, I also really like anything to do with books because I love books. So find something that resonates with you as well. Yeah, there's so much, so much diversity in uh, the types of audio content within the ASMR category. So, well, to close thing out, things out, I want to open up the the, uh, the microphone to you and tell the folks where they can find you, uh, where they can find your research, and what do you, what else are you working on right now? I think the last we talked, you mentioned uh, something very interesting you're working on. Yeah, so um, in terms of, of where to find me, I mean, I, I have an email address that is publicly available, so people are, people are welcome to get in touch. They quite often do to tell me about ASMR experiences. I always find that really interesting. Um, I, I'm not on social media, so I don't, I don't really do social media, which I think is odd these days, but um, I, I, I don't really do it. Um, so email is probably the best place to find me. Um, in terms of what we're working on, um, one thing that we're really, really excited about that we're going to launch in September is an ASMR research network. So we are trying to get people uh, from across the world who are doing initial research on ASMR as well as artists, ASMR artists, um, people in audio, um, lots of different professions and, and areas to kind of come up with a collaboratively derived research agenda for the future of ASMR. So that is the next exciting big thing on the horizon, which hopefully will allow us to kind of have a bit more of a strategic focus on the research that we do for ASMR in the future. That sounds awesome, and, and you'll let us know how, how Verbal can participate in that and, mm. and, and help yeah. support. So uh, we'll link uh, your email to the show notes if you don't mind, and yeah. we'll, we'll link to, I think, your bio on your school's yeah. website. So thank you again for joining us. This was super fascinating. I'm sure we'll have you on again in the, in the future to talk about more in-depth things about ASMR and what you're working on, and uh, we'll talk soon. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to Verbal Voices. If you're an audio creator, join thousands of other creators already using Verbal to distribute their audio. We've got so much in store for you and we can't wait to see your audience grow on Verbal. If you're a listener, sign up for Verbal today to enjoy millions of audio titles completely free. Until next time, 